Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Uh, this morning, we actually have two guests for you. The first is Captain Matt Hahn, and Captain Matt will be sharing some information for us about running upward, um, upriver on the Inland River System. So today's topic overall, as we continue our Illinois Waterway Closure Series, is the potential for a clockwise loop, which we've been hearing some discussion about on our forum. Um, so Matt is going to cover one of those challenges with a clockwise loop for us, and that, of course, is running against the current. And then for the second half, we'll bring in Jim Healy, who will talk about one of the other concerns which would be being on the East Coast, on the Atlantic Intracoastal Waterway, and some of the things to look out for for that, particularly because you would be there potentially during hurricane season. So that's the topic for today. Before I officially bring Matt in, I want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Beneteau, Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And with that out of the way, Captain Matt Hahn, thank you for joining me today. Oh, hi, Kim. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm um, having a great day. Good. That's always good to hear. Uh, we want to start, um, as we said in the intro, we're, we're doing another episode on some of the options for the Illinois Waterway closure. So one of the things that people could potentially do, which would be somewhat unique, is a clockwise loop. It has been done, of course, but we reached out to you to try and cover the piece that people are concerned about, and that is running upstream on the rivers. So tell us a little bit about, I know you've had some experience in that area. Tell us about your experiences going against the currents there on the inland rivers. Yeah, uh, Kim, I'm a uh, I'm a hundred ton master, and I I work for Grafton Harbor um, as the captain of the excursion boat Akuna Matata. Anybody that's been to Grafton, it's kind of this big uh, oh houseboat looking thing that we uh, take up and down the river um, for fall foliage tours and uh, just get everybody exposure to the uh, Illinois and Mississippi River. Um, I also uh, work for Towboat US, so. Um, people I run into maybe aren't necessarily happy to see me sometimes, but um, <laughs> I'm there to help them. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, when I'm when I'm not busy doing that, um, I relocate boats um, between Mobile and all the Tennessee lakes and the Great Lakes. Um, I probably make that trip uh, up or down the Ten Tom a couple times a year, and uh, uh, more frequent trips really between uh, the the Tennessee lakes or. Kentucky Lake, um, St. Louis, and St. Louis and the Great Lakes. Um, it's usually more typical for me to go down the Ten Tom, but I have had to make that trip up the Ten Tom, um, and I make that trip uh, uh, up from Kentucky Lake and up from Grafton to Chicago numerous times every year. So um, yeah. I've got quite a bit of experience out there in the current and the, the riverways. Um, uh, so, I don't know, what, what, what can I help you with? Um, how can I answer your listeners' questions? Yeah, well, I, th- I think probably one of the biggest concerns is specific to the upper Mississippi, um, although going against the current in any of the rivers could be a concern. Of course, some loopers are out there in boats that are slower trawlers, or often we are even seeing a lot of sailboats 
that are operating as power boats because the masts are down and then they're going on their engine power. So they may not have a whole lot of horsepower behind them. So any requirements that you can list or any boats that, you know, anything you need on your boat or perhaps boats that you simply should not attempt to go northward on the river system. Yeah, I'm going to start out and say, and this goes, you know, for boats moving up or down on that that uh, Mississippi River. They really, you know, first of all, they have to be in good repair, and I really think everybody doing the loop, um, you know, uh, really tries to have a boat in in really good repair. So that's that's probably the most important thing. You're going to be dealing with a lot more current. Uh, the engines are going to be working harder for longer periods of time. So that just emphasizes, you know, that good repair and keeping them well-maintained. Um, there are a lot of areas on that Mississippi River uh, where you are remote, um, very few marine services, and, uh, you know, help such as Towboat U.S., um, they'll get to you, but they're going to be a long way off. Um, mm-hmm. So um, you don't want to have a breakdown during, you know, in that area. Um Next, um, you know, from general requirements of the boat, I would suggest you really have um, very good ground tackle, anchor and anchor road, um, know how to use it, um, because you are probably going to have to do some anchorages, um, especially going upriver. Um, and, you know, it's also your primary safety system. So if something were to break on your boat where you couldn't continue for, at least you can stop um, and not, you know, continue to float down river um Mm -hmm. um, so um you'll need to make sure that you're self-sufficient for at least i'll say two days you know with water and food um Mm -hmm. you know the if i were to identify one boat that probably cannot make this trip and we'll talk about uh fuel requirements that type of thing um it's rather doubtful that a gasoline powered boat is going to be able to make this trip um you know that they uh that just there's a few areas uh trying to make it up the river especially at that time of the year um, where range is going to be a definite issue with gasoline boats um i would say that um, any diesel powered vessel with a reasonable range um should not have a issue um providing that um i'll say the river and weather cooperates um mm-hmm. uh you know thinking about this kim um you know, when I heard upriver, downriver, well, you know what? Um, we all at some point um, are at sea level on the loop. Um, mm-hmm. And you know what? We always end up either sea level or we start at Great Lakes level and we end up at Great Lakes. So there's really, if you think about it, there's no really up and down, um, mm-hmm. clockwise, counterclockwise. They're both the same amount up and down. Um, it's just a matter of what the <laughs> velocity of the current is going to be. Um, you know, at that time of the year and the, the weather conditions that, you know, cause that, that excessive power. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, let's talk about that a little bit because you did mention, you know, a, a boat with a reasonable range if the, the river and the weather cooperate. And, of course, the river and the weather are two things that we don't have control over on our boats. Uh, so let's let's kind of talk about that a little bit. Um, of course, the, the biggest distance on the entire Great Loop is in this area between fuel stops um, that, and that going and a clockwise loop would be from Paducah, Kentucky, to Hoppies. Um, so that's a range of about 200 miles. Is there a, um, a, a formula or some way that people contemplating doing a clockwise loop can determine whether they do have the range? Is there a certain amount more fuel that they can expect to need when they're fighting the current? Yeah, um, 
you know what? Uh, I'll give an example. Um, I have a I have a forty three carver cockpit motor yacht, and I I go between here and Kentucky. Like, um, if I'm not moving somebody else's boat, uh, my wife and I just do that trip for the fun of it. You know, mm-hmm. um, and um, typically I'll use a hundred gallons of fuel in that boat. It has twin Cummins diesel, um, and it'll take me three days to get from St. Louis to Green Turtle Bay. Um, my return trip up the river, even in fairly benign condition, I'll always use at least 300 gallons of fuel coming back, and it will still take me that three days, sometimes four days to get back. So, you know, if you look at that difference of downriver versus upriver, I mean, we're at a three-to-one ratio there. Um, so, you know, on the Mississippi River, I will typically use a rule of um, I'm going to, you know, if I can, if a boat will go, a hundred miles um, on a hundred gallons of fuel, I will say that boat will only go 50 miles, maybe 40 miles upriver. Um, you know, um, and that's on that, that Mississippi River. We also have, you know, similar things can happen down um, you know, on the, the Mobile River, Black Warrior, Tom Bigby, in the lower parts of that. Um, they, they don't usually have the velocity, um, typically don't have the velocity that Mississippi River does, but um, I would still use that, um, you know, half your range um, as a good rule of thumb um, uh, to just make sure you have enough fuel. Um, okay. So, so it sounds like that's going to be a main major consideration for boats that, you know, perhaps if they were going counterclockwise, as is more traditional, for boats that maybe were getting, um, you know, were didn't have a whole lot of extra fuel for the stretch between Hoppies and Paducah, going the other way, you you might find yourself short. Um, so if we're using yeah. kind of a, a two times as much fuel, um, that's certainly a good metric for people to keep in mind and to know before they set out. Yeah, and there's you know there's going to be three problem areas for them, Kim. Um, mm-hmm. You know the first one is right off the start, um, and that's going to be Mobile up to uh, Bobby's Fish Camp. Um, you have 130 miles um, upstream, um, so you know even for that, I would say you need to make sure you have a normal range on your boat of 250 to 300 miles. Um, mm-hmm. You know in slack slack conditions. Um, right. Next, and people don't think a lot about that one, but you have about 160 miles uh, without diesel fuel, at least, between Grafton, Illinois, and Peoria, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and that's all upriver, but the Illinois is a much more benign um, you know, river um, than the Mississippi. Um, and then finally, the one that we, you know, everybody, I'm sure, is thinking about is that Paducah to Hoppies. Um, that's 216 miles. Uh, 158 of that's going to be up river. Um, there is option for everybody though in Cape Girardeau at uh, Kids River City Fuel for diesel, um, and that's at mile marker 52 um, okay. on on the Mississippi River. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the seasonality of this. Um, if you are doing a clockwise loop and kind of on that, you know, traditional one-year time frame, so to speak, um, this would be the fall. Um, and you would, I'm sorry, this would be the spring, <laughs> and you would want to be heading north in the spring on the Inland River system, um, getting through the Illinois waterway before its closure on July 1st. So you have to assume you'd be to Chicago around July 1st. Um, anything, you know, any thoughts on that time of year, some benchmarks on where you would want to be and or any typical uh, speed of the current at that time of year? 
Yeah, um, I would, you know, given a, and, you know, I want to, you know, I'm try try to take this out of delivery boat mode where you're doing a reasonable schedule, enjoying the time on the, um, that type of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I would I would say you want to leave no later than the mid-April, April 15th, okay. and that gives you um, essentially um, six weeks plus, a, I'll say, a full month then of waiting out the river floods if you need to on the way. Okay. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. You're going to need you're going to need 30 days um, of travel time to get from Mobile to Chicago. Okay. Uh, taking a reasonable distance each day with a boat pushing against the current at you know moving only at maybe you know eight to ten knots, something like that. Sailboats. Boats, trawling vessels, they may only move at four to five knots. So I, I right. thought about, you know, trying to keep this in around 50 miles a day, trying to make mm-hmm. that kind of a, a travel period. And you, you need a full 30 days of travel. Um, and by leaving in that mid-April, you're going to give yourself, um, you know, say let's say six weeks in there to travel. Uh, nice staying a few, not moving every day. But then you'll also give yourself plenty of time in there to wait out a a flooded swollen river that you do not want to travel up against um because of junk in the water or you're just going to be burning way too much fuel taking way too much time most people really underestimate that that mississippi river um it's always flowing in that area at four knots and Mm -hmm. when we get at flood it's seven knots sometimes eight knots of a current and it, you know, you're talking about some trawling vessels that they're going to be making one knot an hour. That's just not. Right. You don't want to be in there. You know, you'll not worth make, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah not worth exactly it. That's exactly what yeah. some people are concerned about. So, let me ask you this: you, you mentioned that you know you're, you're talking about 30 travel days on an average of about 50 miles a day, and, and that 50 miles is typically what we see from a looper on a typical travel day. But a lot of loopers are typically going at seven or eight knots at trawler speed and doing 50 miles in a day. So if they're bucking the current and going more like, uh, you know, uh, four knots, a 50 mile day would be extremely long for a looper. So if they do have a trawler Mm -hmm. and plan to do it, should they leave before middle of April? And if so, are there any different weather concerns there? If they're leaving earlier, is it more likely Mm -hmm. to, to have flooding? You know, it's interesting. There's, uh, it, yeah, if I boy, if I had a way to tell, tell everybody what that weather was going to be doing in May 2020, <laughs> yeah, wouldn't I, it be I, nice? I, I probably wouldn't be delivering boats for a living. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I would say yeah that you would want to leave earlier. The, the weather patterns here have been a little bit strange. As you know, as I watch things happen, we seem to get. Um, I'll say more floods in June right now, late mm-hmm. than early. Um, that you know, we end up with this period in this uh, May time frame a lot of times where we have summer conditions on the riverways, um, mm-hmm. where things just everything calms down for a few weeks. You know, the water all pushes out, and you end up with a fairly reasonable conditions. Um, uh, so you know, target that. Get as far as you can before June, um, in, you know, if you can get to that Grafton location, um, you know, by the first week in June, I think you'll be in good shape. You'll find an excellent window to make it up that, you know, the rest of the way up that Illinois River. Um, 
Um, I well, got the, the good news. Th- oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. The good news is if you do leave earlier and arrive in Chicago earlier, you've got the whole Great Lakes to spend the entire summer exploring, and you you can't have enough time to do that. Um, so it just gives you some extra time to explore Lake Michigan and, and get into Canada if you're going that direction and explore all those waters too. So if we look at that in comparison to a counterclockwise loop, most people would be leaving Florida, you know, kind of in um, – late March, that kind of time frame. So it, it kind of correlates to, to people who might be contemplating a clockwise loop um, as you're, you're kind of leaving the south, the extreme south part of the loop at about the same time. Yep. And, and you know, and, they, and also if they have to wait out that Mississippi River uh, at Kentucky Lake, that's not a bad place to have to do it at. There's a lot of nice side trips up the Cumberland you could take to see Nashville. Um, or, you know, if you look at things uh, when you get to Lake Pickwick at the top of the Ten Tom, you can make a right turn and, you know, head up toward Knoxville and uh, explore some of the Tennessee River Valley while you're, you know, if you give yourself enough time in that, that springtime, um, you know, you might be able to do a little exploring while you're waiting, not just sitting at a marine. Yeah, yep, that's absolutely true. And even loopers on the more traditional path- pathway south uh, had a lot of flooding this fall to deal with in these areas. Oh. So it can happen at any time yep. of year. Um, it really we can. are actually. Um, th- yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say one rule of thumb that I use um, in moving boats when I'm I'm at at Kentucky Lake is I take a look at um, the St. Louis gauge, which is the gauge at downtown. St. Louis. And if that is running uh, at 17 feet or above and not dropping, I mean, uh, you know, not moving down, okay, mm-hmm. just wait it out. Don't try to do it. Um, you're going to okay. hit that seven knot current. Then. Um, you know, you're going to start hitting some hard current. So 17 foot, that's kind of my rule. I'll, I'll, I'll tell owners, let's wait. You know, let's, yeah. not, let's not try to do it at that type of uh, uh, current. Perfect. That is a great rule of thumb. And I think we're going to hold it there because we do want to leave some time to be able to cover the other part of the concern on a a clockwise loop, which is the East Coast. Um, So uh, what we're planning on doing as we get closer to the time frame is collecting information from members on how they are planning to approach this. So when we get a little closer to 2020, um, we will start to poll members. And if there are a lot who are, are contemplating seriously this clockwise loop, then we'll provide a whole lot more content. So we'll have Matt come back and, you know, do a full podcast or two or three, um, all specific to running up the river. So, Matt, if we get to that point, we'd love to have you back. Absolutely. I'm more than happy to help anybody coming up that river. Thank you. Matt Hahn, uh, his website is captain-matt.com. Uh, Matt, thanks for joining us. Have a great day, Kim. We are going to take a quick break for a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, we will bring in Jim Healy and talk about the concerns that might be present on the East Coast during the fall. Be back in a moment. Did you know that every mile of the Great Loop is covered by both the Waterway Guide and Skipper Bob? Use them to plan your Great Loop cruise and learn about the places you can visit. In the cockpit, important navigation info is always ready at your side, plus marina listings, anchorages, services, and so much more. Each Skipper Bob and Waterway Guide is updated yearly, and waterwayguide.com and skipperbob.net keep you current with navigation alerts, cruising news, fuel prices, and special deals. With the Waterway Guide and Skipper Bob at the helm, you'll always be on course. 
Order yours today at the AGLCA ship store at greatloop.org. Waterway Guide and Skipper Bob are proud sponsors at the Admiral level with AGLCA. Welcome back to Great Loop Radio. As you know, today we're discussing the option of doing the loop clockwise as a way to deal with the Illinois River closures in 2020. And my next guest is Jim Healy, who has done the Atlantic and Dracoastal Waterway in both directions many times because he winters in Florida. Um, But he has joined us to kind of share some of the considerations that you might have if you were heading southward on the Atlantic Intracoastal during the fall, which is kind of the opposite season and opposite direction that many loopers would be doing. So, Jim, thank you for joining me today. Most welcome, Kim. Start, if you would, and you're a frequent contributor to our forum um, and have a very uh, robust website with lots of information for people. So start telling us a little bit about your background and where they can find some of the articles on your website. Well, the website really is in two pieces. Um, there's a most of uh, the stuff that we write about on a daily basis is uh, technical stuff and heavily focused on electrical stuff. But uh, cruising stuff is at the uh, sort of at the bottom of the website, and I have it broken down state for state. Uh, there are a couple of articles that deal uh, explicitly with the ICW and. They're written just from the point of view of a cruiser. They're they're not they're really not cruising guides. They're the kinds of things that say how do you navigate these waters and what do you have to pay attention to tides, currents, seasons, that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So so and you're right. Peg and I have probably done we've we've lived aboard for 15 years and with the exception of the year we did the loop, we've either been up or down the ICW uh, twice a year. So. So um, we're pretty familiar with these waters. We've seen them deteriorate over time. The, the, the Corps of Engineers, the money just has not been there to keep up these waterways, and uh, that's a continuing problem. So there are a lot of shallow spots. You have to learn to deal with tides. You have to learn to deal with tides during moon cycles. Uh, celestial cycles do make a difference, uh, uh, particularly in the Carolinas and Georgia. Uh, Absolutely, and that's regardless of which direction you're going or what the season is, those are things that you're going to have to deal with. So, yeah, Jim's got some great information on his site for that. Um, Let's talk, if we could, Jim, one of the biggest concerns, particularly with people who don't typically boat in hurricane zones. Um, Of course, the Atlantic ICW, the southern portions of it, are somewhat prone to hurricanes. Um, and that's going to be probably the biggest concern for loopers who may choose to go clockwise in 2020. So let's start there. Kind of tell us a little bit about the overall concern for hurricanes in the fall on the Atlantic ICW. All righty. Um, well, the, the, first of all, there's a hurricane season. Um, and every boater who, who even thinks about doing this needs to consult with their insurance company because uh, insurances are written differently, and you need to be sure where you can be between what dates. Uh, for example, our insurance tells us that we need to be uh, above 31 degrees north from June 1st to November 1st, and that is hurricane season, and that's why. I mean, they want you out of, essentially, my my insurance wants me out of Florida. Uh, 31 degrees is Brunswick, Georgia, so they want me out of Florida for hurricane season. Now, hurricanes in the the early part of the season, in the there's really not much happens in June, not a whole lot happens in July. The the, the hazard for the early season storms is that they tend to form uh, in the uh, in the Gulf of Mexico and come up a lot. Uh, typically, 
make landfall along the, uh, the, the Great Bend of Florida and come up on the Gulf side. After that, they come off again. They are weather systems that start coming off the coast of Africa, and they come across the Atlantic. And those are the storms that tend to peak in the middle of September. Um, if you look at uh, NOAA Hurricane Center, you'll see that statistically the peak for landfalling big hurricanes is, is November or uh, September 15th. And typically from August 15th to October 15th, is the be very wary, make sure you check the forecast, pay attention to the Atlantic forecast for seven to ten days into the future. Those tend to be the where where the big storms are. Uh, our weather forecasting these days is good enough that we typically do have uh, a lot of advance notice when storms are coming in. So my my strategy for that is just to find a place to hide. Mm-hmm. Um, prepare the boat if if i'm if i'm in the mid-atlantic when there's going to be a a chance of a landfalling hurricane take canvas down take anything that's loose off the deck and get it inside double tie the boat uh use long lines so that a boat can go up and down with uh with the surge surge does a lot more damage than wind does um, and that those but those things apply everywhere i think those are sort of general rules for any big storm yeah, absolutely. And even um, for those of you listening, the, the hurricane insurance considerations that Jim was mentioning apply whether you're heading south in the fall on the Atlantic ICW or whether you're heading south on the inland river system, which is kind of the more traditional place loopers would be. Same restrictions apply um, regardless. So that is something you should certainly check while you're cruising in the fall of your loop year, regardless of what direction you're going and regardless of what year it is. Um, right. But so, Jim, of course, one of the things that people are going to want to do is spend lots of time exploring and meandering on the Great Lakes and head south, um, you know, so that they can kind of balance spending the summer on the Great Lakes and not arriving too far south too soon for it to still be hurricane season. So talk to us about some timing considerations for the waterways. You know, when do they typically close the Erie Canal? Because I would assume that would be a benchmark on where you need to be. Well, you need to be off the Erie Canal by the end of October. I, I, I don't exactly remember, but I think it was around the 20th or so of October that they closed the canal this year. Um, and and uh, you, you can't, I mean, in terms of where you would store a boat, you can't store a boat in the water on the Hudson River above the salt line. You know, the, the, the Hudson River is a freshwater river that runs down into New York Harbor, and there is a there is a line about three-quarters of the way in the Mid-Hudson Valley of where the water turns from fresh to brackish. Uh, the water the, fr- the water above that line freezes in the wintertime. It freezes solid. Mm-hmm. They, in fact, they run icebreakers to get fuel oil up to Albany. So you can't really store a boat in the water in those conditions. So you've got to be at least as far south as New York City. Uh, and and, uh, and by the time that starts to happen, now that's a that's typically a late December, early January type phenomenon. So that wouldn't affect most loopers. Um, we don't we don't do much. We have not done much cruising in New Jersey in the winter months and the colder months. So November, you know, we, we, typically what we do is we leave the Baltimore area around uh, mid October. Let's say roughly the fifteenth of October. And uh, we are an eight-mile-an-hour boat. We travel 50 to 60, 70 miles a day. Uh, so it takes us 
on average, it takes us about 20 travel days to get from Baltimore in Maryland to uh, Punta Gorda in southwest Florida. And uh, okay. now I will admit to you, uh, when I, I, I didn't think about this when I was thinking about these comments, but when we travel south, we don't, those are travel days. So depending on how late you decide to do this, loopers are going to want to stop. There are some cities that you definitely want to stop and visit. You want to stop and visit Charleston. You want to stop and visit uh, uh, Savannah. Those are, those are absolutely classic places that, that, that people are going to want to spend time in. So downtime affects how far south you can go. Uh, and and what timetable? So if you let's let's say that you're you're visiting the Chesapeake Bay and you've been around the Chesapeake Bay sometime in let's say uh, like the first of August or so, you can spend six weeks doing the bay from August to uh, uh, you know to mid September um, or even later. You know you're probably not going to be there as early as August, but like let's say. Let's see, I'm, I'm kind of doing this on the fly here, Kim. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's, uh, no, no, that's fine. I appreciate let's you say, uh, let's say the month of, The month of September to mid-October would be a, it's a good time to be in the bay. The kids are back in school, so there are fewer uh, day boaters out. Uh, there are more slips available at marinas, and there are lots of really good places to visit. Annapolis comes to mind. Uh, St. Michael's comes to mind. I mean, all of this stuff is on my website, but... But there are some really, really, really nice places to visit that that deserve to be visited by boaters. Um, and then, and th- so if you leave the bay by, by approximately the 15th of uh, of October, then you can uh, you can you can certainly plan to stop and spend a few days in the Norfolk, Port, Portsmouth area. Um, if you go down the Dismal Swamp route, you can stay a couple of days in Elizabeth City, which is a terrific little town. Um, Across the Albemarle Sound, um, one choice that boaters have is to decide if they want to go out the Crystal Coast uh, through uh, uh, Pamlico Sound to uh, Oriental uh, uh, or uh, Ocracoke and Mantio, or if you want to just go down the ICW. Um, let's see, the next, what are the next big towns down here? Um, there, there are not a whole lot of large towns in that whole North Carolina coast. Uh, but right. there are a whole lot of interesting little towns. Uh, Riceville Beach is certainly fun. Southport is uh, very definitely a, a, a town to visit and stop in. Um, uh, Beaufort, South Carolina, uh, Beaufort, North Carolina, is a popular place for boaters to visit. Uh, nice little waterfront community with a lot to do and see in the immediate area. So um, yeah. you can you can do the North Carolina coast in five days the way we do it like I say, between 50 and 80 miles a day. Um, or you can dawdle along as long as you want. Now, once you get as far south as North Carolina, you, you don't generally have to worry about cold, cold weather until into January. Uh, this year has so been Jim, a bit of an, an exception. Yes, go ahead. Yes, and it has gotten cold early this year for sure. But so I, I think one of the key points that you made in that, Jim, is that for your boat, which is an eight-mile-an-hour boat, it's 20 travel days from, um, I think you said from the Chesapeake to Punta Gorda, from, Florida. From Baltimore to Punta Gorda, right. It's okay. 1,400 so miles, great, and we take 20 I, I days. I think that's a great benchmark um, because if, if loopers get to that point, they kind of probably have an idea of how many travel days they take per how many 
days that they're not traveling and they're exploring. Um, right. You know, so if, if each individual boat, if they typically travel half of the days and stay put half of the days, that gives them an idea of how much time they should allow. Um, and also to look at, at the places they want to be. But I think your point about the Chesapeake is very well taken. Um, if people spend, you know, try to head south later to avoid hurricane season, they're not going to have as much time in the Chesapeake before it gets cold. So with the Erie Canal, I think this year the closing was a little bit earlier than October 20th. I think it was mid-October, around the 12th or so. Um, but so people may want to plan to really, you know, head south sooner than that without as much fear of hurricane season. Um, tell us a little bit about being on the Chesapeake, though, you know, perhaps if you're on the Chesapeake, like you mentioned, in September. Um, that is kind of the peak of storm season. Any thoughts about, you know, are there lots of hurricane holes on the, the Chesapeake? How big of a target is the Chesapeake for hurricanes? Yeah, yes. Uh, the, well, first of all, storms that run offshore on the Chesapeake Bay are not storms that generally cause a lot of problems. Hurricanes rotate counterclockwise. So if there's a hurricane, if you think of the Chesapeake Bay as a north-south body of water, if a hurricane is uh, east of the hurricane uh, of the of the Chesapeake Bay, the water will be driven out of the bay, so you don't have as much trouble with surge. On the other hand, the, a storm like Isabel that happened in uh, what 2003 or so, that storm came up the west side of the Chesapeake Bay, and that that brought a lot of water with it because the winds were rotating and, and the winds were northerly to bring water up the bay, and that affects. That really does affect all of the boaters on the bay. So you, 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 your, your strategy somewhat depends on where the storm is going to go. But there are lots and lots and lots of hurricane holes. There are lots and lots and lots of good marinas. The Chesapeake Bay is one huge creek. I mean, there, there are just little places all over the place where you can get out of the way, marinas where you can tie up. Uh, if you have two or three days to plan for where you want to be, you should be able to easily find places where the, you know you can get someplace and be safe and get the boat tied up and secure. And if you were in the zone where the storm, storms don't typically make landfall that far north. I mean, it does. Hurricane Sandy did, but it wasn't a hurricane. It was just a miserable, huge, uh, you know, storm force type well, wind with lots and lots of rain. Yeah, I think that was also outside the typical season. Wasn't that well into November? It, well, it was in October. It was actually in oh, October. Oh, was it? Okay. But, okay. But, 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 yeah, it was late October, but, yeah. But, so, my point is, though, that you can, I, I mean, there's all kinds of places, and, and local interests all know where they are. Uh, you check with any local marina. Um, I know, uh, uh, for example, Foster on the northern part of the bay, Dave Skolnick on the Foster, uh, northern part of the bay, all of these uh, harbor host folks know where. I mean, I, I couldn't begin to take you through a list right now, but there are tr right. there are all <laughs> kinds of places to hide, and that's a place to use your local harbor hosts. I mean, that's that's just a critical place to use them, and they'll Absolutely. they'll be able to find places for you to hide. There's no question about that. And I think Jim, I, I think you brought that point home really well because that's one of the things I really wanted to make is when we first offered the possibility of a clockwise loop in 2020 with the Illinois waterway being closed. I did hear from some um, lake boaters and inland bo boaters that were very concerned about the idea of being on the East coast for the peak of hurricane season. And I guess 
being that I live on the East Coast and, and spend the peak of hurricane season here all the time, it's just something we're more familiar with and learn to deal with a little bit more. But the bottom line is, of course, you can never be complacent with this, but we do have some warning for storms. And if you're far enough north, such as the Chesapeake Bay, the impacts are much smaller. And there were actually a group of loopers, um, gold loopers, that uh, summered this year on the Chesapeake after they had finished their loop and uh, waited it out in Baltimore while some of the storms um, like Florence and Michael were, were headed that way and were just fine with that. So um, you just you can't predict this far out what a storm might be in 2020. But thankfully, they're one of the natural disasters that we do have warning for. And there is ample opportunity, particularly in the Chesapeake, to find a safe place to keep the boat. So uh, Jim's first point about not heading too far south because of your insurance considerations you know, holds true for your insurance, but also for your safety during a storm. And that's why the insurance doesn't want you there. And I also would mention that um, Brunswick, Georgia, as Jim's point, is further south than a lot of what I'm hearing lately because of all the storms we had in the, have had in the past few years. So definitely check your individual policy because for some people that line is in, somewhere in South Carolina. And I've even heard a few where it's actually somewhere in North Carolina. So you Oh, yeah. Uh, there are yeah. some... There are some policies that you can't be below Norfolk, but you know you have to be. You can't be off the Chesapeake Bay until the first of November. That's not a good right. policy for most loopers. It's just not. But I mean, there are policies that are written that way. So you just Correct. need to and check. And I also, I also should point out because I don't do a good job of this. Some people already have insurance because they keep their boat in Florida that covers them for being that far south. If you're from Florida and, and that you're you, you're already paying those additional premiums. Um, but, of course, staying further north again during hurricane season from a storm perspective, if not from an insurance perspective, just makes good boating sense. Um, yep. So any other thoughts, Jim? You know, I, I know you're also a, a long-term member of MTOA, which has a lot of people who cruise these waters in the fall. Um, so anything else from your perspective for uh, a looper perhaps who initially wouldn't have considered being in that area in the fall, but is considering it for 2020. Um, anything else that they should know before they continue with planning that as a possible option? Well, the only other, the other, only other really major discussion in this area is uh, whether you're doing it in the spring or in the fall, it really doesn't matter. The, the, first, the first issue is tides. Um, uh, as you know, Kim, uh, tides in the mid-Atlantic area run, you know, in North Carolina, tides run up to about four feet. But then when you get down into South Carolina and Georgia, the tides run up to eight or nine feet and, and regularly, routinely uh, run to eight or nine feet, which is a significant tide. That creates currents at, at uh, inlets, and it creates uh, the, the issue of how much draft a boat can safely have. Uh, we draw a little over four and a half feet, and there are places on the ICW today that we cannot travel at low tide. Um, most of those places are in southern North Carolina and in Georgia, but uh, like Hellgate in Georgia. Uh, it seems to me like there, there are four or five Hellgates around the country, and one of them is in Georgia. Mm -hmm. um, so what I try to do, what and it doesn't always work, but, but my strategy is to try to time passing South Carolina and Georgia where there is a rising tide like early in the morning. If low tide is at 6 a.m., that's sort of perfect for me because that means that for the next several days, uh, high tide will be in the, you know, in the late morning to uh, 
uh, early afternoon, and that's a that's a good strategy because you can run most of the day without having to worry about shallow water. Mm-hmm. And the the only other comment I would make about that would be uh, there are lots of resources around, like the Salty Southeast Cruisers Net and the Waterway Guide. Uh, there are lots of resources that you can use to see where the shallow areas are. They're all available either with apps or with a, with a computer browser. You can tell where they are. They have local notices to mariners. You do have to pay attention to those shallow areas and, and what's going on. Um, I got, there's probably one more thing that's worth saying. In some places, the, the, it's okay to run from marker to marker, but by and large, in the, in the, on the U.S. southeast, you are wise not to run right to the edge of marked channels because lots and lots of places in the southeast, the markers are actually outside the channel. And if you're out there in, in, uh, near a marker at low tide, you're going to find very shallow water. So, so sort of stay 100 feet or so off the markers, especially the markers that are on pilings. The floating markers, that not so much the floating markers, but certainly the marker, markers that are on fixed pilings, Avoid them. Avoid being too close to them. Don't cut Don't cut corners. Okay. Great advice, Jim. Thank you for that. For our listeners, as you know, we're bringing you this series of possibilities for dealing with the 2020 closures on the Illinois Waterway. Once we get closer, and, and we're doing this obviously a few years in advance so you can start to consider the possibilities, once we get a little bit closer to that time frame, we'll start to poll our members for what their plans will be of these options that we're presenting. And if we do hear a lot of people who are planning this clockwise loop, then we'll do some more uh, podcasts and some more content in our newsletters pertaining to that. So we'll go into much more detail on how you can prepare for a hurricane uh, should one be approaching in your boat. Um, and at that point, Jim, if we get to there, if we have a lot of people doing that, we'll bring you back for some more advice on that. But we appreciate you sharing the, your knowledge with us today. No problem. My pleasure. To our listeners, thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. 